Hello. 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 Hello, my name is Matthew West, and I'm the host of this podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. Hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West. And as always, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you're having a great day. Um, had a blast last week with my guest, Mike Donahue from 10th Avenue North. Got a lot of great responses from you, uh, from just enjoying that interview just as I did. So busy week. I've, I've been on the road with my friends Casting Crowns on tour. We've got a few more of those shows coming up here in the month of October. So go to MatthewWest.com to find out if we're coming to a city near you. In addition to that, we did announce a brand new Christmas album is coming your way. It's called We Need Christmas. I don't know about you, but I think we need Christmas. Really, that title is saying we need Jesus, this hurting world. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard two years, and I'm looking forward to the Christmas season. I hope this new Christmas album will put a smile on your face and be something that you and the family can listen to during the holidays. And you can come and see me in concert. We're doing only a select amount of Christmas concerts, the We Need Christmas Tour, eight cities. So go to MatthewWest.com to find out how you can celebrate Christmas with us. Uh, let's see. Backing up pre-Christmas, guess what happens before Christmas? Thanksgiving. Have you gotten your Gobble Gobble shirts? If not, I don't know what you're waiting for. We have just released the pre-order. You can go and pre-order your Gobble Gobble shirts. You can get them for the whole family if you want to. So again, MatthewWest.com for all of your Gobble Gobble shirts. <laughs> oh man, I just can't wait to see pictures from families around the Thanksgiving table sending me pictures, all of you wearing your gobble gobble shirts. Let's go, people. Let's have a good time. I can't wait for the holidays. Can you tell I'm just a little bit excited about Thanksgiving and Christmas? I know some of you out there going, hey, you're getting ahead of yourself. Slow down. We're still in October. I know, but I'm just so excited. Speaking of being excited, I'm excited for today's guest. This guy I'm about to talk to is a fascinating individual. He's a highly accomplished author, one of the co-authors of the famed Left Behind series, might have heard of it. His son has created The Chosen television show, and now he is writing the novel adaptation of the show. But this guy does so many things. He's a brilliant writer. He also helps young writers share and learn how to be better storytellers. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk with him today. So let's go to the story house with a brilliant man, Jerry Jenkins. He's written more books than most people will read in a lifetime. He sold so many books that the Environmental Protection Agency has dubbed him the tree killer. I'm making that up, by the way. He's got so many honorary degrees that I would allow him to perform minor outpatient surgery on me. He's the reason so many of us are scared to death of being left behind. He is Jerry Jenkins. Welcome to the Matthew West Podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Matthew. I, I had almost gone 24 hours without a left behind joke, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so not as uh, original as I thought, huh? 
<laughs> I hear those almost every day. <laughs> oh man. Well, it is so it's an honor to be speaking to you actually from one writer to another. Uh, I just am blown away by your gift of storytelling and, and doing so in different formats. And, um, you started out in the sports world. Is that correct? Yeah, matter of fact, I was uh, a sports writer for a daily paper, uh, part-time, obviously, when I was 14 years old. So I was too young to even drive. The sports editor didn't realize that, didn't know my mother was waiting for me in the parking lot to drive me to the games and back to the office. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where I got my start was in was in sports writing. Now, how did you trick the paper into that? I mean, did you just submit some writing and they didn't know who you were and they thought, hey, this this guy's pretty good? No, I was a fairly big kid at 14 and looked older, which was a real advantage at 14. It's not such an advantage nowadays, but <laughs> I actually went there. I, I had written up, I would play dice baseball at home and then write up the story as if it was going to be in the paper just for fun. And so I showed up at the newspaper office and I talked to the sports editor and I said, how are you fixed for sports writers? And he said, why? And I said, because I am one. And uh, he said, well, he would try me on a couple of high school games. So I would, I would you know, go to the game, as I say, with my mother driving me. And then she would take me back to the office and I'd peck out the story on an old manual typewriter. I would get a dollar per inch that survived the, the sports editor's edit. And so I might make 10 bucks here, 12 bucks there. As a 14-year-old, that, that, I thought I was in pretty high cotton. So, But I learned an awful lot and I always wanted to be a writer. So um, I had my career path laid out there by the time I was 14. Now, I noticed in your bio that you actually have written several biographies and several biographies of some of my favorite like sports heroes. Did I see Mike Singletary and Nolan Ryan and was it Walter Payton as well? It was, yeah, and Oral Hershiser and Meadowlark Lemon. And uh, so that, that's been a great thrill in my career to, to get to meet those guys and spend a few days with them and interview them and write their stories. Uh, that, that was, uh, and a lot of people don't even realize that because I'm known for Left Behind, and so people assume I'm only a novelist. But t uh, only two thirds of my books have been fiction; the other third have been nonfiction. And is it common for authors such as yourself to to go back and forth between the different idioms of literature, or is it once a biographer, always a biographer? Are you kind of in uncommon waters in that you've done both? It is fairly uncommon to do both. Um, I know a lot of nonfiction writers who try to write fiction and can't seem to, to do it. I think it's a little easier to go from fiction to nonfiction, but fiction is its own little gift, I think. And so uh, it is unusual. You, you see a few people that, that do it and do it well, but it, it's, it is fairly uncommon, yeah. Now, in the music industry, people gush over what they deem as an overnight success. And I'm wondering if it's similar in the book world and what people don't realize is what they would, you know, shower somebody with praise saying, oh, an overnight success, he or she has come out of nowhere and people don't realize. I heard one artist stand up and say he had this big hit song and uh, he's on stage and said, yeah, they're calling me a. Uh, an overnight success. It was a guy named Edwin McCain. And he said, they don't realize that it was took me 10 years to become an overnight success. I feel like recording artists and authors can all have stories like that to tell. I know I can as well, that when I finally burst on the scene with my first hit song, people don't realize there were hundreds of songs I wrote before that. This was just the first one or that maybe really caught 
on a national level. The same can be said in some respects for you. You had a lot of success, though, but your Left Behind book wasn't your first book. It was your 125th book. Is that correct? That's right. It was. Now, I had had some decent sellers before that, and I, yeah. I was doing okay you know, income-wise. We were going to be able to pay our house off and put our kids through college, which is what everybody wants to do. But my first New York Times bestseller was the Oral Hershiser book, uh, Out of the Blue, and that was my 75th book. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have books that sold before, but just not that broke onto the scene. And you're right, the Left Behind was uh, book number 125. People would, you know, who didn't know any better would say, so did you write anything before that? Yeah, I wrote a few before that. (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, had some great success before that. In fact, I have uh, my family has had that Oral Hershiser book for years. And I'm a huge baseball fan and, and grew up loving Oral Hershiser. So that's crazy. I'm, I'm curious, though. I would, you know, like you said, you, you hear left behind jokes all the time. I like the thought of these books prior to left behind and even post left behind. I know as a songwriter, there's songs that are my personal favorites your label might put out a greatest hit CD and those are the ones that the the masses might be more familiar with because they were on the the radio but there's personal favorites of mine that I look back and I go I'm especially proud of that that work or that song for personal reasons even if not for uh, critical acclaim what comes to mind for you in in the life of your catalog of books that you've written where you're going man this will always be special to me and here's why yeah, there are a few of those. In fact, uh, people assume that my favorite book would be Left Behind, the first title in that series, which actually, believe it or not, came out 26 years ago this year. Wow. And I would say Left Behind is in my top 10, but it's not in my top five. My absolute favorite of everything I've written is a novel called Riven, R-I-V-E-N. And it's just an idea that I got years ago. I was at a writer's conference, and it happened to be at a Catholic retreat center. And one thing about our Catholic friends is that they they have never downplayed the agony of the crucifixion. And I had never really studied a crucifix before. I'd seen them, of course. But in my room, there was a crucifix on the wall. And I looked at that thing and I, I thought, you know, this really shows the agony. We sometimes beautify right. the crucifixion. We have Jesus gazing into heaven and we have, you know, but they show the the riven side and the, and the spikes in the hands and feet and and the thor- crown of thorns and that type of thing. And that that just worked on me for a while. And often novel ideas come from two different places. So I had that rattling around in my head. And then I read a story about Gary Gilmore, this famous murderer who was executed and, and was the subject of a Norman Mailer book called The Executioner's Song. And the uniqueness of that story was that he got to choose his method of execution from lethal injection, electric chair, firing squad, or gas chamber. And I thought, what would I choose? I I guess I would choose the lethal injection because it puts you to sleep and and you die. He chose firing squad because he had shot his victims. And I thought, all right, now I've got this crucifixion thing in my head too. I started thinking about what if there was a, a murderer who comes to faith and is allowed to choose his own execution and decides to choose crucifixion because not because he thinks he'll resurrect or because he's going to be exonerated or forgiven or anything like that, but just that just to show people what Jesus went through on the cross. So that became the impetus for that book. I had the idea for about 20 years, and I got so involved in writing other series 
and couldn't sell the idea to a publisher, they would say, yeah, that's that's okay, but how about another Left Behind type book? Well, I finally got to write Riven for Tyndale House, and it just sort of gushed from me because I had been thinking about it for so long. And that's that's my all-time favorite novel. And then I also, I also did a baseball novel called Rookie about a 14-year-old who makes the majors, and it's not a bionic arm or magic. <laughs> I plant reasons for why he's a big kid and fast, and his father was a minor league ball player and stuff like that. And I got I got the best review or best endorsement ever from Nolan Ryan. Oh, cool. It was such a great endorsement. They actually put it on the front cover of the book. He <laughs> says, this is a great story, but I don't care how young he is. I'd still pitch him inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm seeing some similarities, though. The, the story of the rookie, a 14-year-old, you know, is there any uh, connection there to the story of a 14-year-old? who convinces a newspaper that he can be their sports writer as well? Maybe a little subliminally, but I actually got that idea from my son Dallas when he was a little kid. We were playing catch. He was about 12 at the time. And as I'd throw, you know, fly balls to him, he'd, he'd run back and he would narrate, you know, play-by-play while he's doing that. He would say things like, the youngest player in the history of the Chicago Cubs makes the catch. And I thought, he doesn't want to be a big leaguer when he grows up. He wants to be a big leaguer now. And so that's where the idea came from, to see how young a guy could be and still make it. Okay, so all the listeners of this podcast need to go and and check out Riven and The Rookie. I've, got, I've written those down as I'm talking to you, and I can't wait to dive into those. It's funny. I always think about whenever I get to interview an author like yourself— I feel bad before the interview even starts because in my mind, I'm taking you away from your creative time. So I'm just curious, what does your writing look like on a daily, weekly, or seasonal basis? How do you approach the craft of writing? Is it a daily exercise for you? It's a daily exercise when I'm on deadline. Uh, Right now, I happen to be between projects. So I'm doing some editing and I'm doing some other stuff. And I've got one coming up that I need to be, be ready for. But when I'm on deadline, I get up before dawn and what I write before noon is going to be the best writing I do all day. So that's when I, I do my writing. The first thing I do is I do a heavy edit and rewrite of what I, what I wrote the day before. So if I did 10 or 15 pages yesterday, today, the first thing I do would be to just tear those apart and put them back together until I'm happy with every word. And then that catapults me into the, the, that day's writing. You know, those are two separate tasks, though. The revision, I've got my perfectionist cap on. My inner critic is telling me I'm the worst writer in history and I need, <laughs> need to fix everything. But when I'm going to do my my rough draft writing, then after that, you know, creating new stuff, I take off that perfectionist cap, tell that inner critic to shut up, and I just get the story down. I don't worry about, you know, I, I see a few things. I think I should change that. And I go, no, that's for tomorrow. I need to get get my ideas down. So that's basically the... The, the way it goes. So by the time I get to the end of my manuscript, it's really a second draft because I've written the rough draft and I've gone back and, and revised it. Wow. So now I go I go back through one more time and I've got a third draft then that, that, you know, at that point I need to be happy with it so I can submit it. 
I see we have the same inner critic that travels back and forth from Nashville to Colorado and visits us both. I love that, though, because when I'm writing my songs, there's that moment where I know I just need to get it out. And you have to proactively and intentionally not over edit yourself too soon. So it seems like we can both face the same struggle that if we're not allowing ourselves just to let it pour without being overly critical of ourselves, then the song or the book may never get written. So your best work is done before 12 o'clock and then the rest of the day are you just you're never really turning your writer brain off though are you no are you just constantly you know throughout the day seeking inspiration in the ordinary around you yeah and my characters don't leave me alone you know they're always in there talking and and giving me ideas but i'm a morning person so i i need to be when i'm most focused and and you know zeroed in that's the time to write then the rest of the day, I do my emails and my scheduling, and and I teach writers online. I've got about two thousand online writing students, so the rest of the day I I do that. But it's interesting because of you know you talked about how many books I've written, and I don't want to sound falsely modest, but I really believe that I'm mono gifted. I don't sing or dance or preach. Writing is what I do, and so I feel obligated to fulfill that and to do that. But I was never called to write. A lot of people are called to write, and I'm sure a lot of songwriters are too. But I was probably 16 or 17 when I was at a camp meeting where I felt a definite call to full-time Christian service. And the speaker said, you know, we're all called to be full-time Christians, but some will be called to actually make their living doing this. And I felt that, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to give up the sports writing and study for the pastorate or the mission field. But the speaker's wife counseled me afterward, and she was really wise. She said, don't be too quick to give up the writing because God often equips us before he calls us. And it may be that that writing gift you have is the vehicle you'll use to fulfill this call to full-time Christian work. So that changed my whole view of success. Even most book writers, they consider success a bestseller, a great review, a big royalty check. I've had those, and those are nice icing on the cake. But to me, because my call is to full-time Christian service, my job is to obey that call. And when I write a book, I've obeyed. That's success. And I have nothing to say about how how well it'll sell or what kind of reviews it'll get. And so I just leave that to God and to the marketplace. And to me, success is obedience. It's so interesting that you illustrated the power of words in all of the books that you write, but you've also illustrated it in telling that story that as a 16 year old kid, you were so moved by the power of this youth pastor's wife and the words that she spoke into your life. And God used that to really help clarify your calling. That, that's really, isn't that interesting how it sticks with us? The things that people say to us along the way, those little defining journeys. And since you went there back to 16, I always ask every guest to tell the story of when their faith became real to them. And I describe it in the form of what I call a blue couch story, because for me, I was a 13 year old preacher's kid who thought he'd get to heaven because he was in the family business. But I came home from school one day and I sat down on my mom's blue couch in the basement of our home. And I was looking for a Chicago Cubs game and uh, having a snack. And I stumbled across a Billy Graham crusade. And that wound up being, uh, you know, an unexpected but defining moment in my faith where something clicked and I began to hear what my parents had told me all along, but on a different level. And that was a moment where I, I remember praying 
praying on that blue couch and asking Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. You talk about at 16, really realizing that God was calling you to Christian service and then hearing from that youth pastor that writing could be a way in which you fulfill that Christian service or that calling. Was there a moment leading up to that? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Where was that aha spiritual moment for you that uh, developed your faith in Christ? Yeah, there were really two. One was when I was really young. I did grow up in a Christian home, and uh, we were in church, you know, anytime the doors were open. But when I was about six, I remember my my brothers and my dad read a father-son thing at church, and I was too young to go. And uh, I was studying the, the Warner Solomon famous painting of Jesus knocking at the door, and I didn't remember that Bible story. I mean, so I asked my mother, what's that about? And she, you know, of course, told me the story with a salvation message that Christ isn't knocking at the door of your heart and he won't push the door open. You have to invite him in. And so I still remember that. So special to me even today, and that's a long time ago. But actually, it was the year before this event at camp. At the same camp, it was the nephew of the speaker that I that I talked about that talked about uh, full-time Christian service. And he was a friend of mine, but he was a, a kid preacher. And uh, when he came to speak, he, he asked me, what should I speak on here this week? And I said, well, there's lots of phonies here, you know, you ought to speak on being a true believer, you know. He started speaking on that, and I was so convicted. I was supposed to be a counselor, and I was supposed to counsel little kids that come forward. And I was the first one to stand up when he talked about, are you a secret service Christian? Do you hide your faith when you're out in like a public school? Wow. And I was so under conviction. And I stood up and he thought I was standing up to counsel. And he said, there's already a counselor standing. So if you, you know, so he sends a little kid to me and I got to counsel this kid while I'm under conviction. <laughs> and as soon as I was done, I just ran out to a friend's car and really got right with God. And that never changed. Wow. I really decided I'm not going to be a secret service Christian anymore. I'm going to be bold in my faith and I'm going to use whatever gifts I have to, to spread the word. That's my blue couch experience. And that's why I love asking that question, because it brings me back to that, those moments. You know, Jerry, I think sometimes people might hear someone like yourself speak, and maybe someone like me, and think, oh, they must feel close to God at all times. And they're, they, never have, they never have seasons of, or dry spells or desert seasons in their faith. But the truth is, is there are days when I wake up and I feel a million miles away from that kid on the blue couch. And I'm willing to bet there's days when you wake up and like you talked about the inner critic or what you know, the Bible talks about the accuser trying to make us feel like we'll never get back to those profound moments. And I feel like God's been showing me with every time I ask a guest that question, that God is pursuing us just as much and just as relentlessly as he did when I was 13 on the blue couch and you were 16 standing up while your friend was preaching. It brings us back, doesn't it? To think about those moments and realize that God is still desiring to be just as close to us now as he was then. Yeah, I think it's that admonition to return to our first love yes. because there's nothing like that first love of Christ, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I definitely feel that. I, and I feel the pull every day. I want to I be back to that same enthusiasm and fire. Man, and uh, anybody listening to this right now who who feels that ache, just that reminder that you can get back to that. There is a call to return to your first love. That's just uh, that touches my heart in a powerful in a powerful way. You talk about I was digging through your website, and I'm like, okay. 
I was like, man, I wish I had a teacher like Jerry Jenkins to speak into my writing. And then I start digging through your website. And I'm like, no, this guy's teaching people everywhere. You know, you know, the theory of 10,000 hours, you've clearly put in way more than 10,000 hours developing the craft of writing. And you have a whole ministry, a whole organization pouring into other people. You, you touched on it uh, minutes ago, but talk about why that's important for you, that you're not just keeping the tools that you've acquired throughout the years. You're choosing daily to, and you've written several books about it as well, that I can't wait to check out because I think I could benefit greatly as a writer of learning the discipline that you've learned throughout the years. Why is that important for you to, to pass that on and, or pay it forward, for lack of a better term? Well, this goes back to another high school experience. Uh, a friend who was a, a Youth for Christ leader, group leader in my high school, knew that I wanted to be a writer when I grew up and that I was writing then. And so he introduced me to a friend of his who was a professional writer. His name was James C. Hefley. He was a Southern Baptist uh, journalist and author. And in fact, he wrote sports biographies too. And so I just thought it would be a privilege to meet him. And so I got introduced. But Jim didn't just greet me. He treated me like a colleague and talked to me for about an hour and, and sort of talked shop. And it wasn't as if he was you know, talking to this little kid. He was treating me as if I was a colleague. And I remember thinking at that time, I was probably 15 then, if I ever have any modicum of success in the writing field, I'm going to be as kind to new writers as Jim has been That's to me. That's cool. Wow. And I have had a modicum of success in the writing field. And so I've I've felt obligated to to pay it forward, and and it's it's really a thrill to be able to to just share with people and say, look, when I started in this business, I mean, th this is back when rainbows were in black and white. You, know? I mean, you talk about ten thousand hours; it's more like ten thousand years, it seems like to me. But I've learned so much, and it's not just you know, it's one thing to to let people put you on a pedestal and say, yes, I've had several bestsellers, and here's how I did it. But to say, look, I was one time the same as you, unknown and unpublished, and hoping and dreaming and struggling and making every mistake you can imagine. So here are the mistakes I've made, and here's how you can avoid those. That's what I wish I'd had at that, at that stage. So that's what I'm trying to give these writers. And while we're on the subject, the writing courses that you're offering – I want to make sure they know where to go to find this because a huge theme of this podcast and a huge theme of really my whole music career is is the power of story and the story that's being written with all of our lives and the reminder of who the true author of our story is. And I come across so many people who've been made to feel like their story's insignificant. There's so many people who want to learn how to write too, even if it's just to write their own story and to get in touch more with the story that God's writing through their lives. People need to find out about your writing courses. Where's the best place to do that. Just go to jerryjenkins.com. We've got everything from free blogs and tips and daily you know, reminders up to a, a guild that you can join for a monthly figure that awesome. we have live features and things like that. And then courses that are some modestly priced, some up, you know, that are, are very expensive, but they, they give more access and that type of thing. But all that stuff can be found at jerryjenkins.com. 
Hey, I love it when I get the chance to tell you about something I think can actually make your life better, something that can help you on your journey as you're writing the story of your life, help you live a no-what-if life, right? Uh, That's why I love to tell you about my friends at BetterHelp. Now, if you've got something that you feel is interfering with your happiness or fulfillment in your life, if there's something preventing you from achieving your goals, if you're just facing something, you need some wise counsel, BetterHelp is here to assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's super convenient. You can start communicating in under 24 hours, all right? Listen, you're not alone. There is help for you. Now, this is not self-help. It's professional counseling. You get to send a message to your counselor anytime. You're going to get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they even make it easy and free to change counselors if if that's ever needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. That's super important. The service is available for clients worldwide. They've got a broad range of expertise as well that may not be locally available in many areas. They've got licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping trauma, the list goes on. We're all fighting some hard battles, aren't we? And we can't fight them alone. And with better help, they're trying to let you know that you don't have to. Anything you share is confidential. Uh, This is convenient, professional, and affordable. You can even check out the testimonials that they post daily on their site. Listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a more fulfilling and happier life today. As a listener, you're going to get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp at betterhelp.com MWP. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com MWP. Guys, Simply Earth's Essential Oil Recipes box makes it easy to master essential oils. At over $150 in value, you're going to get four full-size essential oils and all the ingredients you need to make six natural recipes, all for just $39 when you subscribe. Do you want to live a healthier life? Do you want the air in your home, or in my case, our tour bus, to be toxin-free? The answer is yes. Now, This is an amazing company, and here's why. Not just because of 100% pure and natural Simply Earth ingredients delivered straight to your door, but because these are essential oils that change the world, and here's how. 13% of their profits go to help end human trafficking. I'm going to say that again. 13% of their profits go to help end human trafficking. So when you get your essential oils from another company, well, you're going to get essential oils regardless if you're like the West family. We want to get it from a company that wants to be a part of a cause greater than just profit. And that's what Simply Earth is about. We want to help end human trafficking. I hope you do too. These are the purest oils on earth. Like I said, 100% pure. There are no synthetics, no fillers in these oils. They're tested to be 100% pure with no additives, only the good stuff. These recipes work too. Every single recipe is created and tested by AHA certified aromatherapists. You won't get a recipe unless they love it. So here's how it works. You get 100% pure and natural Simply Earth ingredients delivered to your door. You follow the fun recipes in your Simply Earth essential oil recipe box to make products that you know will work because they're created and tested by certified aromatherapists. And you get to enjoy a home 
free of toxins as we are in the fall spending more time indoors that is more important now than ever so go to simplyearth.com west use the code west to get a free 20 dollars gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today that's simplyearth.com west get a 20 dollars gift card with your first recipe box when you use the code west and subscribe today Speaking of like uh, passing it on and paying it forward and working with young authors, you have done that even with within your own home and are now, you know, working together with your son Dallas with your film production company. Is it Jenkins Entertainment? Yeah. And now, what's it like? I'm just curious as you've seen the Chosen series become the largest crowdfunded television program to exist and taken worldwide acclaim and it's just an unbelievable series did you see in your son a desire to be a storyteller like yourself at a young age and I'm just curious how you've watched that the development of the chosen and I want to get to the the novelization of the chosen that you're writing what did you see in your son growing up that made you either see the future that he was going to be making films and really kind of as an extension of the creative father that he has, or are you surprised by how this has taken off? I'm just curious what your experience was in your own home that created Dallas doing what Dallas does now. I've always felt that Dallas was brilliant. I haven't always been right. <laughs> I think everything he does is, is great. And I think everything's going to be a success, but it, it, it often isn't. You know, I mean, there, there are times when things work or things don't work. But he was a young teenager when I introduced him to movies. And almost immediately, he saw a couple of movies that really impressed him. And he said, Dad, this is what I want to do. And I was thrilled that he had a, you know, a goal that young. And early on, we did do Jenkins Entertainment, and I was sort of financing his movies and that type of thing. But really, The Chosen was born of failure. He, he had done, you know, his latest movie was one called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. I thought it was great. I thought it would do well. And so did the, the production company in, in Hollywood, the studio. And they had him signed up for, you know, they, they were going to do a, a movie a year for the next nine years, I think it was. And it just tanked. I mean, it immediately failed in the box office. I was stunned. And so was he. But he got this idea to, you know, go back to what he's really good at, and that's, to, you know, telling Jesus stories. And he really did this on his own. And when it was crowdfunded and, and exploded like that, it's sort of like, you know, I had this influence, I think, when he was younger and, and helped him get started. But now I'm sort of pressing my nose up against the glass saying, can I play too? <laughs> and he saw the value of, of uh, novels to go along with the, with the series. But it's just become such a phenomenon. And the irony of it is, he's right about the same age now as I was when Left Behind hit. Wow. It's been good to be able to, to give him the counsel I got from Dr. LaHaye. Yeah. Who wisely said, let the phenomenon of this take care of itself. That's going to happen. We were stunned. We're shocked. I mean, here I, I mentioned Left Behind started 26 years ago. That series still sells after selling 63 million copies. Over all those years, it's still selling 15,000 units a month to this day. And here Dallas is seeing this thing explode to where it's been been seen almost 300 million times in every country in the world. And it's happening at the, to him at the same age as it happened to me. And I can say, let the phenomenon part of it take care of itself. Stick to the knitting. Stick, you know, our goal in writing Left Behind was we didn't want people to be left behind. That was the point. 
His goal is he wants people to meet Jesus and have Jesus make them someone they're not. Stick with that. The phenomenon will take care of itself. Don't get enamored with it. Don't get into the materialism that comes with it. Just stick to it. And and uh, I think he's got his head on straight. And I, I just love watching it. I mean, I I had to, I say I had to. I got to watch each episode about 20 times to write these novels. And I don't get tired of one scene. They all move me emotionally every time. Unbelievable. So, so whatever they're doing, they're doing well. Well, and I don't want to skip past something very profound that you said that you and your son both have in common. But you just mentioned in what Dallas is experiencing with The Chosen was born in failure or born of failure. And I think that's really powerful for people to realize. And like you just said, uh, you know, your biggest seller uh, was your 125th book, you know, and, and I think those are some really powerful lessons for us just to learn in our own lives, right? We tend to get so defeated, so discouraged and face one closing door after the other. I always am reminded of just how the Lord has shown me that rejection is never rejection when you know who the author of your story is. Rejection is always get ready, stay prepared, stay focused. And I love what you said about like, let the hype or let the phenomenon take care of itself, stay close to the mission. And Dallas has a very clear mission with The Chosen, just as you had with Left Behind. And I love that. I'm curious, you mentioned earlier in our talk that your characters never leave you. And now here you are, and I know you're being modest by saying uh, you're just uh, your face pressed up against the glass of what's happening with the chosen saying, can I play along? But the reality is, is what a natural extension of the chosen natural segue to create the novelization. I'm guessing that with each season of the chosen, you're working on a new novelization of of the seasons that will be forthcoming. Is that correct? Right. The first one was called uh, I Have Called You By Name. It covers the first season. And then the second season is called Come and See. And I just finished that. So that'll be out in, uh, I think it comes out at Easter uh, next year. And I can't wait to see the scripts for season three. And then I'll spend a little time on the set. It's always fun to, to see Dallas in his element. But uh, once we get we have those, I'll be ready to, to write the third one. It's cool to see, you know, a dad be his son's biggest fan. And that touches my heart because I feel like that's my dad for me, too. What's it like? You talk about your characters never leave you when you're writing, you know, a novel like The Rookie or Riven. And now here you are writing the novelization of scripture. And the characters that you're writing about are characters you've lived with your whole life as a Christian as well. But just like the series The Chosen has really brought those characters to life, maybe in a way like we've never experienced before, um, getting to see this dramatization, what's it like for you to now create the novelization of The Chosen series with these characters who, who have never left us and you've followed through in watching the show, but also in your own personal journey of faith? What has this experience been like? I share Dallas's view that so many of the, the Jesus movies or TV series previous to this have been formal, and the characters are a little hard to identify with because they're saints. They're apostles, disciples. Jesus, of course, is perfect. And here we, we get to, to put a face to the characters and also personalities that are very accessible. They have senses of humor. They have flaws. They have failures, except for Jesus, of course. But even Jesus having a, that sense of humor and the, the friendships, the camaraderie there, I find now that when I read the Bible, I'm not seeing the disciples as 
statues or paintings from the 14th century or something like that with these big beards and they march everywhere. These are real people. They're like me. I can identify with them. And I, I envision those actors who play these characters when I'm reading scripture now. And I realize that it's really brought it to life for me like never before. And I've been a Bible reader my whole life and have been immersed in it, but have never really been able to picture it too much. And, and of course, the New Testament, these are suggestions of stories. They'll talk, you know, it might be a few verses talking about the feeding of the 5,000 or some miracle that happens. While it may be a few verses in the Bible, that's several chapters for a novelist. And, and on the screen, that's several minutes of, of buildup. And, and how might this have come about? How might it happen? And uh, that it's, it's really changed how I read Scripture. People sometimes say, well, the, the criticism is, like it was with Left Behind, don't let Left Behind become a substitute for bio, your own Bible reading and, and church attendance. People say the same about The Chosen. But Dallas has pointed out an interesting thing. He said, He's never heard from somebody who's actually done that, who says, I don't read the Bible anymore because I just watched The Chosen. He says, it's always somebody else saying, this is the danger. Wow. Well, it may be a danger, but the point is, we're hoping that this will inspire people to, to dig in for themselves and study the scripture and, and meet Jesus on their own. And we're hearing from thousands of people who are doing that. So that's that's been the, the gratifying thrill of it. Well, I can't recommend it enough. The Chosen... Book one, I have called you by name, and you said book two is called what now? Come and see. And that's going to be available in 22 then. Right. And I think what's happening is what you just described about you're not seeing statues, you're not seeing kind of these unattainable figures that have been portrayed in the past because of you writing this book you're you're seeing it and feeling it and realizing the the power of the scriptures on a whole new level there's no doubt that this book and the chosen series are doing that for so many other people i think it's an interesting point you and dallas make as well as like who's actually saying that they've substituted left behind for the bible isn't it funny how you know not to rag on the christian community too much but there's always that contingency of, and I noticed this on the Chosen's Instagram page, how cheeky they get with criticism. Have you paid attention to this at all? I don't know if it's coming from Dallas or who, but they'll highlight somebody's critique of the show. And I'm sure there's going to be a critique of the book as well from here. That people who are just, you know, in their minds, they're being uh, purists or whatever that term may be and they'll say well jesus didn't look like that or whatever and sometimes i read the chosen's instagram page and they just like they're not having it it's hilarious the way that they kick back with some sort of a humorous response where's that coming from do you have any idea that is coming from dallas that's, it is that's sort of, yeah it is he he, he kind of gets a <laughs> kick out of it when we used to get criticism like that on left behind i, I kind of took it personally had to learn to just let it roll off and not respond because Sometimes indifference is the best response to that type of thing. But when people would criticize Dr. LaHaye, I couldn't let it go because I knew him. They'd say, he's only doing this for the money. And I'm thinking, you don't know him. He wouldn't do anything just for money. We weren't raised that way. Um, he's giving away most of the, the money that comes from it. And he's a, you know, has a pure heart and he's tender toward people and all that stuff. Dallas loves to be a little cheeky, as you say, and <laughs> yeah. it really doesn't bother him. And and for one thing, he realizes once he exposes it, 
other people jump on too and say, "What? Who was that? Oh, what, yes. did, what did they mean?" You know. So it's it's a lot of fun. Therein lies the secret of of the social media blowback is that if you can highlight a ridiculous criticism, your fans will do the work for you. In fact, uh, there was one that la- made me laugh as a criticism said, can you tell me why the scarves of the Pharisees are the barcodes from the store? Is there a message behind that? And then it says some people see 666 in the barcodes. And, and the response from the chosen TV series was simply, oops, you caught us. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved yeah. that. So to be able, if if only we all could take the ridiculous criticism that we face with a grain of salt like that, just let it go in one ear and out the other. Uh, maybe we could all learn from that because I have a hard time doing that when people are critical about a song or reading something into a, even a podcast episode. Just everybody's out there, but it's always the vocal minority and we've got to get past that for sure. So, So tomorrow morning... Jerry Jenkins is going to wake up at what time? Probably around 5.30 or 6. And Jerry's going to go make a cup of coffee or or what? I take my caffeine cold, so I'll, I'll go to the refrigerator for a Diet Coke. Okay. <laughs> and I'll probably microwave something quick and then head right to the keyboard. Right to the keyboard. And the keyboard is in a special room in your home, or do you, do you leave the house to go to work? I'm just, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, okay. I walk 50 paces across the parking lot to a building that where my assistant comes and where I have uh, an office. The office that I'm in right now is where I do media and do my emails and that type of thing. And then, then just uh, across the, the way, I have uh, what I call my cave. That's another office where I do only writing. I can remember when I first started, I would put two kitchen chairs in front of the couch, put a plank over there, put the typewriter on there. That was my office. I have to say my office is a little nicer now, <laughs> but uh, it's it's great to have everything at, at arm's length and ready to go. Well, I, for one, am honored that you would take a break from the cave to share a little bit about your story, where you come from, what the calling that God put on your life at a young age, how you've stayed true to that calling, whether you're writing a biography of one of our favorite sports stars, whether you're writing a, a huge series uh, called Left Behind, or now diving into these powerful novelizations of the Chosen series. I, for one, am glad that we've had the chance to talk, but also am hoping that you'll continue to keep going to the cave because it seems like every time you go there, you come out with something divinely inspired and something that reaches people for Jesus. And, uh, you know, I just think that's a a powerful legacy to have and one that you are still chasing after relentlessly day after day. So it's an inspiration from one writer to another. I'm, I'm just honored that we've had the chance to talk. Well, thanks so much, Matthew. It's an honor to be with you. All right, now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's Song from the Story House is off of my latest album called Brand New, and the song is called The Me You Made. I wish I looked like Bradley Cooper. Wish I had movie star muscles like Chris Pratt. I wish my kids thought I was cooler. I wish I wasn't just a skinny jean wearing that. Now there's another thing I'm wishing. I wish I didn't just say what I just said Cause now everybody's heard All the insecure Voices in my head Not good enough Not cool enough Don't measure up Yeah, I've had enough Listen Hey I don't wanna spend my life 
I don't want to spend my life wishing I was different. That would be a waste of time. I mean, come on, can I get an amen on that? Anybody out there with me on that? Now, listen, do I really wish that I looked like Bradley Cooper or had movie star muscles like Chris Pratt? Not really. I mean, it wouldn't. I wouldn't be mad about it. I just really thought those lyrics were, were funny. They made me laugh, and I just you know, get a kick out of, if I'm making myself laugh, maybe somebody else gets a smile on their face when they hear a lyric like that. And then the part about my daughters having a skinny jean wearing dad, I mean, come on people, these are some classic lyrics, right? But the real heart of the song can be found in verse two. Now, I never thought I'd find a way to quote Theodore Roosevelt in a song, but the time has come. One of my favorite quotes cuts right to the point and the heartbeat of this song. Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, I love that quote, don't you? And I love it because it's true. I mean, without realizing it, we can get stuck scrolling on Instagram. We can quickly get sucked into that rabbit hole called envy, called jealousy. I'm sure nobody else struggles with that. It looks like everybody else has the perfect life. We forget that we are in the game, and instead we start watching the game called Life from the Bleachers. We watch other people's lives, wishing our lives were as cool as somebody else's, right? You ever do this on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? I don't want to waste my time doing that anymore, and I know that you don't either. Check out this second verse. The whole world is posting pictures. Looks like everybody else has the perfect life, but we're just watching from the bleachers. Discontent and thinking, wouldn't it be nice? But comparison is the thief of joy. Trust me, I know. Cause for way too long, I let it steal my joy. But not anymore. Hey, I don't wanna spend my life wishing I was different. That would be a waste of time. Cause I know you, you love me just. Now, here's where my daughters come in. They sing the background vocals on the bridge of this song. Now, secretly, this is because I wanted them to hear these words. I wanted them to soak these words up. You see, don't tell them this, but this song is just as much for them as it was to remind myself. I see a world going out of its way to make them and other young people feel like they don't measure up. Not good enough, not smart enough, not tall enough, just not enough. Whatever it is, talented, attractive, we measure ourselves against other people and it is the thief of joy like we already talked about but i want my daughters to see that they are god's idea i want you to know that too god had the idea to dream you up just the way that you are you are beautifully you are wonderfully made and god does not make mistakes the biggest mistake you could make is to try to be anybody other than the you god made you to be
He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why we are sending you home today with the last segment of our show. Always, it's dad advice. Play that music, would you? He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, you've got your own theme music, and uh, here you are again, faithfully, like clockwork, <laughs> closing out our show with some uh, good wisdom that comes from scripture, right? Uh, we are a couple of dads and we're turning to our heavenly father at every turn to instruct us, right? Yes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So uh, send us out with some encouragement on how to live a no what if life. All right. Well, I, I'm going to talk about what if I need some help? What if I need some help? And God's promises are so powerful. And there's one promise over another that talks about providing us help. And I love John 14. It talks about God sending a counselor, our comforter, to help us. And John 14, verse 16 and 26 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And then it says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. We all need some help from time to That's time. Good. And no matter who's listening, you might be in a situation where you need some big time help. You are struggling. We receive a lot of prayer requests on this line. Mason wrote, pray for my mental health and depression. Jonna wrote, I never like to ask for help, but I'm pretty close to the end of my rope. Please pray for my emotional health. Here's some important facts. In the past year and a half of the pandemic, it brought many people to a mental, emotional, and spiritual health crisis that they had not experienced before. Matthew, would you know that Americans spend over $225 billion on mental health treatments and counseling? This includes cost of therapy, prescription medication, and stays in, in substance abuse and mental was, health facilities. And that doesn't even count the, the ways that we self-medicate in our world, too, right? So that's just on, uh, you know, mental health medication and counseling. I mean, you know, we're all so many people are, are trying to find ways to ease their pain and trying to find help in good sources like you just mentioned, and then in in all the wrong places as well. Yes, yes. And and during 2020, the number of college students seeking professional help hit an all-time high. They face depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, eating disorders, hostility, alcohol, and drugs. Three quick things. One, who is our counselor? Counselor means someone who comes alongside you and listens, gives advice, and instructs. Isaiah 9, 6, a most wonderful promise. We usually quote it at Christmas, but we can quote it every day. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the first names given to Jesus the Messiah was that he came as a counselor, a comforter. Two, what does our counselor provide? John 16, 13, he speaks truth and he guides us in the truth. In Romans 8, 26, it says the Holy Spirit, the comforter, helps in our weaknesses. In Ephesians 3, 16, it says our comforter, our counselor will empower us. And in Romans 15, 13, it says that our comforter will give us hope. And then thirdly, 
When is our counselor available? I like this. In Psalm 16, 7, here's what David said. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. Notice that David mentioned even at night. And I don't know about you, Matthew, but a lot of times problems seem a lot bigger at night. Now, most doctors or counselors are not in 24-7. They have office hours, but God does not have office hours. He's available to us 24-7. Next time you need a listener, a comforting friend, guidance in a decision, remember God's promises to be your counselor. Just in conclusion, if you are struggling today, let me encourage you to put your trust in our counselor and seek God first. And then, please hear me, let me also encourage you, maybe you need to seek more professional help. Maybe you need to hear God with skin on and If you prefer to speak to someone online, I know, Matthew, you mentioned BetterHelp Counseling that would help people. And also we want to mention that, it, you know, whatever you're facing, seek help. Find that counselor. But always know that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is your counselor today, and he will guide you. Yeah, Psalm 46.1, God is our safe place and our strength. He is always our help when we are in trouble. The NIV says God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So you are not alone, okay? And uh, we talked about this. I wrote about this in my book, and uh, there was a section called Name, Pick a Name, Any Name. And it was the idea that, you know, how we always talk about um, with our iPhones, there's an app for that. Anything you want. You want a game, whatever. They always used to joke, there's an app for that. That was an old Apple commercial. And and we talk about anything that you're in need, there's a name given to God that will remind you that he will provide for everything you lack um, God can provide, yes, right? I so if that. your name yeah. is uh, confused or in need of comfort or what, he's your counselor, right? Yes, uh, do you yes. have a big decision to make today? Go to your wonderful counselor and know that he is with you. Do you need help? Well, guess who's your ever-present help in times of trouble? So thanks for that reminder, Dad. That's our show for today. I want to thank my guest, Jerry Jenkins. We're going to post a link to all of his books so you can be sure to check them out at the official podcast page, which is matthewwest.com slash podcast. So thanks to Jerry for joining me. Also, thank you to my dad, as always, for joining me with some encouragement. If you want to receive encouragement like that straight to your email inbox, how does that sound? We want to do that for you. We have a ministry, my dad and I do. It's called PopWe. PopWe.org is the website. We would love to have you added to our list. We send out every Thursday a devotional email. It's free of charge. It's just a gift from, from us to you to help encourage you to spend some time with Jesus you got to spend time with Jesus every single day if you want to make it through this life. Trust me, I am learning that still. And I've been a Christian for a long time, but I know that it's a journey. And it's a journey I don't want to try to take without spending time with Jesus first. So go to popwe.org to sign up to receive your free weekly email devotional. We call them Day One Devos. So get your Day One Devos every Thursday. You'll be glad you did. If you've got a prayer request or a need, you can also send us a message at popwe.org. So um, we want you to know that we're here for you. The ministry's heartbeat is to help you craft, share, and live a more meaningful story with your life. And uh, really, that's the heartbeat of this podcast, too. I hope this time together speaks into the story of your life, encourages you, lifts you up, helps you lift your eyes, 
eyes to realize this. Your life is a story, but you're not the author. And your life gets good when you realize who the real author of your story is. It's your story for his glory. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.